Welcome to Igris Moshe A to Z. I'm Rabbi Dov Linzer, and this week we're looking at vote relating to G, gender. Um, and the tshuva for this episode is a quite famous one. It's from Orchayim 449, dated September 1976. And the topic is about feminism, directly about feminism. Um, and the title of the tshuva is Binyana Tnuah Chadasha, regarding the new movement, you know, sort of Jewish feminism and certainly Orthodox uh, feminism was starting right about that time. Regarding this new movement of the women who are sha'ananot and chashuvot. And I want to take a minute to discuss those two terms. So what is this phrase, nashim sha'ananot? Um, and that actually echoes a verse in Yeshayahu, in Isaiah, from chapter 32. Um, and the verse there says the following, 32.9. Nashim sha'ananot komna shmana koli banot botchot ha'azena imati. And I'll read here the JPS translation. You carefree women, attend, hear my words. You confident ladies, give ear to my speech. Yamim al shana tirgazna botchot kikala vetsir osef liyavo. In little more than a year, you shall be troubled, O confident ones, when the vintage is over and no ingathering takes place. So a sense of carefree, confident type of women. What is he getting at? Well, let's get back to that in a minute, but let's also ask about this word chashuvot. Um, now, chashuvot could mean important status in society, but nashim chashuvot is also a phrase in the Gemara. And one has to imagine that Rav Moshe is echoing psukim and echoing Gemaras here. And the Gemara speaks about that in a case where a woman has an important status in society, a isha chashuva, for example, she is allowed to lean in the presence of her husband at the Pesach Seder, even though for most of society that would be considered disrespectful. And then the Ashkenazi Rishonim say all of our women are chashuvot because their women had a role not only in the home but in the larger society in medieval. Ashkenaz, and this reflects a recognition in halacha of women's changing status in society and places where that might have halachic implications. So Rav Moshe here, on the one hand, is saying that these women do have a much different status in society that they did in the past, but at the same time, this Sha'ana note is clearly critical. Now, critical in what way? Critical in suggesting that their motivation might be incorrect? It's worth remembering, and still today, often one hears a critique about feminism, that it was a, you know, a movement for upper-middle-class women. And there's a lot of truth to that, that a lot of the women who were involved were women who had the time on their hands to be fighting these battles and were from the upper-middle-class. There's a counter-critique that says, actually, it is the lower-class women who are much more need the accomplishments of feminism, like higher pay for women and so on, and maternity leave and similar types of things that feminism was fighting for. But it certainly is true that in the broader society, and the, um, the it was often the upper middle class women who were engaged in this fight. So here Rav Moshe, I think, is sort of recognizing women have a different status in society. They have maybe a lot of time on their hands. Maybe there's also a critique, an implicit critique that they're not home watching the kids and they're not doing what might be classic traditional women's work work and 
maybe because of this, they have now developed or are participating in this new movement. And here's what he says. He's responding to a Rabbi Kalamer from a Rav Boston Bikilach Shuva. And we're going to read most of this Shuva. Normally we just read selections, but this is such an important Shuva, we're going to read most of it. He says, Regarding these tranquil and important women, they join forces with other women, you know, other people who are fighting the battles of feminism across boundaries, not only Jews, non-Jews, trying to make changes in law, in policy for the benefit of women. That's one thing, you know, maybe those are important fights to be fought. But we're dealing here with women that actually are observant. And I've pointed out before that Rav Moshe distinguishes sometimes between Yirei Shemayim and Shomrot Torah. And Shomrot Torah often refers to the modern Orthodox community, not to the yeshivish community, which of course would be appropriate here. And now he says, you know, you want to fight those fights in larger society, great. But now, they want to bring their war. And by the way, notice the language, right? The military language. They fight their battles. They want to bring this war. It's very obviously aggressive and attacking. And sometimes that really was very much true when you're fighting for change. So, Torah. They say we should be changing some laws of the Torah. Women should have equal obligations as men, other types of things. You know, why do we have differences in halacha between men and women? We are fighting for equality. And some wear talit, and similar, meaning presumably tefillin, and this is the now orthodox feminist movement. And you've asked me, what's my opinion? So it's not exactly a halachic ruling, but you want to hear from Rav Moshe. You know, is this, what is the right response? You want my advice, you as a rabbi of a shul, and women in your shul are raising this issue, you want to know how to best respond to them and to the phenomenon in general. So he says as following, a foundation of faith is that we receive the entire Torah, written and oral, from God through Moshe and Mount Sinai. How is that relevant? Well, remember, these women are fighting to change halacha. And Rav Moshe says, the only way you could think that you could bring a fight to change halacha, that it's in human hands to change halacha, means you think about this as a human phenomenon and not as the divine law. He says, It is impossible if we believe the Torah's Misenai to change even the tiniest little tittle of a yud, you know, whether to be lenient or to be strict. We cannot bring an agenda and override the Torah as we have received it. Ah, and then he goes on, sometimes we can make fences to protect it, but we don't even do that nowadays, that was only when we were centralized. Okay, the fact that women are exempt from certain mitzvot, it's a biblical idea. And the rabbis didn't obligate them, and I'm going to skip a little, I'm going to get back to it. He says that, therefore, this is all Torah law, and therefore what? Even if women's role in society is very different than it was in the time of the Gemara, and the time of Harsinai and the Torah, the halacha won't change. 
not a biblical law, not a rabbinic law. Any war, any fighting will not make any difference because this is divine law. Even if everybody wanted to change the halacha, the halacha is what the halacha is. Women that are coming with an agenda, like they come in the secular context, we should pass new laws. So we should be passing new laws in halacha and throwing out the old ones. He says, They are effectively rejecting the Torah. They are kofrim. So the same way Moed Ravioshi used kofrim to refer to reform and conservative Jews, this is a type of a movement that reflects a perception of the Torah that is that it is not divine, that it is given to humans to change, and therefore that makes you a kofer because you are denying aspects of Torah Sheba'alpeh. And he says, Anybody that says that anything can change, he quotes the Raman that 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 is a kofair. The kosher and certainly, that's only if you say that it changed over time. Certainly if you say, that human beings have the ability to change the law. You're implicitly saying that the Torah is not eternal or divine. And you are rejecting principles that the Torah is eternal. Now, this idea that there was a desire to change halacha, it could have been presented, and I don't know how it was reported to Rav Moshe, how he understood it, if he was appreciated different voices, but it could be presented in different ways. It could be like, yeah, you know, this isn't from God, this is all human, and we can change it and make it what we want to make it, which Rav Moshe says that's basic fira. But, you know, even if somebody approaches it from a deep place of emuna, Rav Moshe's approach to Torah Shabbat is not as if Every single halacha was already given at Har Sinai. As we'll see in a later uh, podcast, Rav Moshe in his introduction to Gris Moshe and other places says that God empowered the rabbis of every generation to the best of their ability come and interpret the Torah and working within certain parameters and what they would come to would be the MS Lahora'ah, would be the true halacha and different rabbis could come to different conclusions and all of those are elu ve'elu and multiple legitimate positions as long as one approaches the text with the right process and the integrity. Some of those that are fighting the the battle here for women's liberation or for feminism are saying, you know, we have to try to find ways to paskin differently, but within the context of how psak halacha is done, the idea of kfir is not relevant. That you could say, we still shouldn't bring agenda to psakim. I mean, Rav Moshe, we know sometimes, clearly wants to come to a certain conclusion, but maybe it's different if you want to help somebody who you feel is in sar and anguish there's a human component. Maybe if you're doing it for an ideology, it's different. But that's a different discussion. That's a discussion of can we be motivated by a certain values and ideology to try to find a conclusion that works within the halachic system. That's not rejecting the divinity of the Torah and the fact that halacha is part of Torah Shabbat and so on. But it seems that the way Rav Moshe understood it or chose to frame it was that they were actually saying this is all just a human construct 
and we can just make it what we want to make it. We don't have to operate within any system and implicitly saying that we really don't believe in fundamental ways of approaching this system that is part of what the traditional belief of Torah Shebechsav and Torah Shebaopet is. Based on this, he frames this movement as kfira, which is extremely harsh. And as we know, also the way he framed conservative and reform um, Judaism as well. So now let's go back, though, to the part that we skipped. Because in the middle, he explains what could we think is the logic. And now we're going to a second part of this tshuva where he tries to talk about what is this all about. Halachically, I've said that they're kofrim, but how do we explain conceptually this issue about are women on a lower level than men? Why are women exempt from mitzvah man grama? What is that all about? Because it would be very helpful to have a nice articulation of that so that you are not alienating women that have deep concerns around these issues. So let's articulate that. So here's what Rav Moshe says about the exemption of mitzvah man grama. The fact that women are exempt from time-bound mitzvot First of all, you have to know it's biblical. And the rabbis also did not obligate him. Now, why did the rabbis not obligate? They didn't see any need to do it. Certainly in their time, there was no need. If anything, there was a reason that the Torah had to exempt them. And the rabbis understood that they should remain exempt exactly for the reasons that the Torah exempted them. Now, it's not enough that the Torah exempted. Sometimes the rabbis obligate people that the Torah did exempt, um, which raises interesting theological questions. If the Torah exempted, why did the rabbis obligate? But if Moshe says here the rabbis did not obligate them because for presumably the same reasons the Torah did not. And why was that? So first he says that we don't know. <laughs> so it's a little dangerous when you get into Tamei HaMitzvot because then somebody could say, well, I don't think that that's true anymore and things are going to change. So the first important position to take is we don't really know all of the reasons. So any reason I'm going to give, you can't hinge it all on that because God knows the reasons and we don't know the reasons. So acknowledging that you can't hinge it all on what I'm about to say, here is at least a good understanding of why women are exempt. He says, Kistam nashim tamim gluyim Nevertheless, there's things that are evident about why at least some of the reasons is that women are exempt. Kistam nashim bolam wrote, Normal women are not rich. You know, subtext is, like those women who are involved in feminism, you know, the nashim that are chashuvot and shana note that are fighting those battles, that's very nice for you. And now we sort of understand why the importance of the framing, because to say whatever might be true for you does not necessarily hold for all women. Normal women are not rich. Valeyamutal, guess what? They have the responsibility of gidul ha'yiladim va'yiladot. They have to raise their kids. That is the most important service of God, raising a family. And it's natural, biological, not just in humans, even in animals, that the females will not only birth the children, but raise the children. And the same is true about human beings. And here's the essentialist argument, which is hotly debated, but Rav Moshe says, you know what, it is just more natural for women to raise children than men. 
שמצד זה היקל עליהם שלא לחייבם בלימוד התורה ומצד עשה שהזמן גרמה. And that is why the Torah exempted them from learning Torah, which is an all-time-consuming type of an obligation, and from time-bound mitzvot. Notice Rav Moshe did not say what is often said, because they are subject to their husband's authority and they have to be responsive to their husband's needs. That would not fly in this context. What he is saying is, is in order to allow them to focus on raising the children, which is the greatest service of God, bringing up a family, which societally has often been the case, remains the case for most women, and is also a biological truth, says Rev Even if the norms of society change, for all women, and again, there's that little jab, and for rich women, even if in all times, that they don't have to raise their kids, but even if we were living in a society where no woman had to raise their kids, okay, that they all had that, you know, the societal norms were not that way. And you could give over the child rearing to uh, men and women. I don't know if he means daycare or if he bringing somebody into the home. He says that it's all very nice, but you know what? At the end of the day, this is biblical. So A, I'm giving you a reason that you can help people understand. This does not mean you're second-class citizens. It's not because you're subject to your husband's whims or needs. This is because you are doing the most important service of God possible, raising a family. But whatever the reason is, it's, at the end of the day, it's a Torah law and we can't change it. Now, that all might be true, you know. Uh, the way Chazal interpreted the Torah, obviously we don't have the ability to change. According to the Rambam, if there was another base in Agadol and a Sanhedrin, they could change that, but we certainly don't have the ability to change it. But what Rav Moshe goes a step further, of course, is to say not just what you're asking for can't be done within the system, and I don't like you bringing an agenda to the system, but what he's saying is you're really rejecting the system. And again, that's certainly was not true for all women and certainly for Orthodox women. Um, so many of them were operating, trying to operate within the system, but he is framing it as a rejection of how the whole system of the divine Torah works, as if it was imagined to be something which was a total human construct. Now, Rav Moshe continues in discussing this issue about women's obligation and women's status. So we go now to the next paragraph where he says the following. As a practical matter, a woman can do mitzvot that she's not obligated in. Uh, you get reward for that. And not only that, women can even make a bracha on mitzvahs that they're not obligated in. They shake the lulav, they sit in the sukkah, they blow the shofar, and they make brachas on these. So now let's get to a practical part of the question, not the ideological. When it comes to wearing tzitzit, if a woman makes a talus that looks a little bit not like a male talus, maybe going back to our discussion of beged ish, a talus has been very gendered, I actually think it's a reason why there was such visceral response to women wearing talitot and tefillin, because as a type of something we wear on our bodies, they are highly gendered. But Rav Moshe says if you avoid that problem and make it a little different, maybe a little feminine, there's no halachic problem. And a woman could wear tzitzit. She could do that. She could put tzitzit in the the mitzvah and make a bracha. Okay? Halachically, there would be no problem with that. When it comes to tefillin, the issues, though, are issues of guf taki, about this issue about a concern for 
will women be as careful about certain halachot as men were? And again, not something to unpack right now. But others want to say it's a problem of exactly what we discussed a minute ago, of like a type of men's clothing, gendered clothing. So Rav Moshe says, although that is an idea that comes up in Targum Yonasan, Tosus doesn't hold like that. That doesn't seem like something really to worry about. But he concludes this paragraph by saying the following, but since that's not the reason why she's doing it, she's not doing it to be, to be Yotze the Mitzvah. He says, this would only be if she's doing it because she has this desire to do a Mitzvah, even though she wasn't commanded. But since we know this is not what's motivating them, it's all coming from this, from this you know, complaining to God, and it's a way of attacking and critiquing the system. It's not an act of a mitzvah. It's actually forbidden to do this because this is an act of kfira. She's doing it as a way of showing Judaism can change, halacha can change, so the act of wearing is not a mitzvah act, it's a kfira act. So here Rav Moshe says, technically it would be okay, but it's in this context it's not good because it's kfira. So of course after this tshuva was written, many people said, look, you know, Rav Moshe says it's totally usser, it's kfira, and what other And it says, look, Rav Moshe says it's totally mutter, it's totally okay for women to wear it tzitzis, as long as it's not being done in the context that Rav Moshe says. And, you know, Rav Moshe is characterizing all women who are looking for uh, greater participation in a particular way, as driven by an ideology that he identifies as kfira, but only because he's framing it in a particular way, and as doing, trying to do these types of mitzvot, not l'shem shamayim, but as a type of a, a defiance and critique. Um, obviously, that is not true for many, 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 many women, if not the vast majority, certainly nowadays. Nevertheless, some of this attitude still remains, and women are often questioned in terms of their motivation when they want to take on more mitzvot in a way that men would never be questioned. And sometimes even if a prosaic writes that it's okay, he'll start his tshuva by saying, this woman came to me and it was clear that she was coming with shame shamayim, and she asked to do the following thing. So the whole specter of feminism and this concern of this other movement and ideology and motivation has problematized this whole issue and has often made it that women are being questioned um, about their motivation in ways that men would not be. Now, the last paragraph of this tshuva, he gets to this question of, are women on a lower status than men? Well, this was part, of course, the critique of feminism, the bracha of shaloh asani isha, the exemption of mitzvah man grama, all of that might reflect an idea that traditional Judaism views them on a lower status. Rav Moshe already addressed the mitzvah He said this was the most important thing that you could be doing. He doesn't address the bracha of shaloh asani isha. It's a hard question to answer. Um, but he does say, make the following strong statement, about a fundamental equality of men and women in terms of their nishama and their ultimate importance. You have to know, women's exemption from mitzvot and their different status in certain ways is nothing to do, it is so. It is not at all, God forbid, based on an idea that women are at some lower level of sanctity from men. They are equal to men when it comes to their soul and their and their sanctity and their status. And now he says something interesting. 
women are actually obligated in all mitzvot. They're not fundamentally only obligated in 80%. They're fundamentally obligated in 100%, but then they got an exemption for the reasons of, in certain areas for the reasons we said. But fundamentally, their relationship to mitzvot is the same as that of men. Um, all the verses of Kedoshim Tiyu and, um, and, the, and in the receiving of the Torah that was said and the rabbis say that it was said means that it was also said to the women women and men were equally at the receiving of the Torah this of course might remind some people of Judith Plaskow's book Standing Again at Sinai where she points out that when the Torah says be ready in three days for the giving of Torah do not come close to a woman, that it's implicit that it is the men who are being addressed and not the women. But the rabbis read the women back in, and they say that Beit Yaakov means women. Men and women were equally part of Kabbalah Torah, equally have an equal sanctity and equal relationship to mitzvot. And then he says, It's equal to women. And that's why women can make a bracha when they do these time-bound mitzvot, because fundamentally they're obligated, but they have an exemption for the reasons that we said before. And then he says, in terms of interpersonal obligations, the way men are are treated, women are treated, sometimes even there's greater concern for women, not sure that the feminists would like that. You know, you want everything to be equal. But anyway, he concludes and says, and, and there were great women who were prophetesses, and in all ways, we have always respected women equally to men. And there is no, God forbid, any degrading of their status from the fact that they are exempt from mitzvot or exempt from time bound mitzvot, uh, exempt from learning Torah. And there is no reason for anybody to complain. If you understand what it's based on, it is chas not based on any second-class status. It's based on a certain type of a role assignment, you know, a primary role for women to play and for men to play. And obviously, feminists would not be happy with that. But Rav Moshe says it is not at all based on a second-class status. Every single time, it's clear he recognizes it won't, you won't win them over by saying this once, <laughs> but they're going to come and raise the critique, and every single time you have to be firm and say, you have to be firm, and if you're firm, maybe, you know, A, we don't want you to waver and start giving in, and B, maybe you'll actually make them appreciate this perspective. And actually, it is, you, have to, you have to, you know, protest and oppose this critique if they still continue their resistance and opposition then you have to protest and you have to stand up against them and he says we'll end with a blessing a blessing all good for you and for your entire holy congregation again equal degree of holiness men, women, and children. So in this tshuva, uh, Rav Moshe deals with many dimensions, technical questions of wearing tzitzit and filin, which he says are technically okay, but then a broader sense of explaining how does one explain the differences of men and women in a contemporary context where there is a feminist critique and where it is being framed as a second-class status and seen as possibly that way. Rav Moshe gives what has become a classic justification, insisting that halacha treats men and women as equal status, equal kedushah, their obligation to mitzvot are the same. It's just an exemption from some 
things, not a fundamental exclusion. And then his harshest point, which is that seeing that anybody who's part of this ideology is attacking, it's kfira. Again, I think that's because he's framing their relationship to Torah and Halacha in a particular way. And therefore, and the questioning of, of their motivations, and this really has, uh, is still plays a part in how some of these issues um, and the dynamics of some of these issues even until today. Thanks for listening to Igris Moshe A to Z with Rabbi Dov Linzer. This podcast is brought to you three times a week by Shivat Chovevei Torah. Don't forget to subscribe and check out yctorah.org to learn more.